0: Hello, everyone. This is Matt Ferrett, author of the Prepare for Medicare book series, and welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferrett Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to a successful retirement. My guest today is Rob Pikos. Rob is a financial advisor for Lennox Advisors, a financial planning firm that specializes in asset management, insurance, and risk management, as well as employee and executive benefits. Irma, stands for the Income Related Medicare Adjustment Amount. That's a fancy way of saying, if you're rich, wealthy, or just well off, you'll likely pay more for your Medicare Part B and Medicare Part D coverage. No one likes IRMA. Even though you're normally eligible for Medicare at age 65, IRMA planning should start as early as 63. It's kind of where Medicare meets accounting and financial planning. This episode will give you a bit of an insider's view into IRMA and Medicare planning, long-term care insurance, and of course, financial planning with an eye towards retirement timing and income requirements. Rob's opinions are his own and in no way reflect those of his employer. Enjoy. Rob, welcome to the show. Awesome, thanks a lot for having me, Matt. Tell everybody what you do, where you live, how you help people, and how long you've been doing this. Absolutely. Uh, Again, Rob Picos.
1: I live in Chicago, Illinois, and work in the, uh, the city itself. I am a financial advisor, and I've been doing it uh, a little over a decade now, working with a wide variety of clients in different situations.
0: You know, let's first talk about the interaction of uh, Medicare and retirement. Um, that's something that's close to your heart, and obviously something that's close to my heart. Talk about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you're, you're really the Medicare expert here, but, um, you know, just right when I hear people entering retirement, right, I always think of all these risks and obstacles you have to think through. Obviously healthcare is one of the largest ones and Medicare is really the cornerstone of healthcare when you enter into retirement. Um, as, as your book, which, which I've obviously really enjoyed has alluded, it's not quite so simple. It's just, you know, finger in the window which one feels right for a Medicare plan. Um, there's also a lot of things that people need to think about uh, in terms of Medicare from a financial standpoint, right? And you and I were you know, speaking prior, you know, I, I think of things like uh, Irma, right? Which is effectively almost like a, it's called a surcharge, I don't know if that's actually the right term, right? But additional money you have to pay if you're in some higher income brackets for Medicare. And Yeah, nobody you know,
0: likes her. Nobody likes her much. Exactly,
1: right. But she's one of those things that, you know, with some, some good strategy, you can sometimes put yourself in a much better situation or save some money on Medicare costs just by, by being a little bit forward thinking and being proactive as opposed to reactionary. So as a financial advisor, those are some of the early things when we started hearing Medicare it's, Hey, how can we educate people as they're heading into the retirement years of what to start thinking about, how to start budgeting for it and what, it, what it's gonna look like. It's a great benefit, right? Without Medicare, retirement wouldn't even be a fathomable goal for a lot of people. So I think it's really just understanding how to utilize it and take advantage of the pieces that you already have in place.
0: Yeah. So it's almost, you bring up an interesting point. Irma is, uh, you know, when you turn 65, you're eligible for Medicare. They look back, you know, two years. And at that point, it's kind of the water under the bridge. Um, you know, you've, you've, your income is going to be what your income is going to be if you're reactive. But I think what you're saying is there's an opportunity to be proactive, but isn't that normally what your accountant does, or if you do your own taxes, you do like, what do you think, you know, the lead up to, I guess, age 65, what's important people think, well, 64, I pay attention to Medicare, um, and I figure out, you know, yep. what plan I want three months before or four months before, and start kind of think, paying attention to it at sixty-four. But that's not really when to start, is it? When you think about Irma,
1: yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, one expression I like is you know you don't want to let the, the tax tail wag the dog, right? So obviously, if you're sixty-four and you're going to make a million dollars, the right bet isn't to say, hey, I should only make you know two hundred thousand so I can have. Lower Irma charge, right? You know, so if it's going to be what it is. Um, but when you're in those last couple of years of work, you're really your early retirement years, and you have these different pools of money you could draw from, right? You think about Social Security, you have your 401ks potentially, general investment accounts, maybe it's just cash on hand. And you say, where, now that I'm retired, where's my income coming from? It's understanding which pool of dollars you want to utilize uh, to, to effectively have the right level of taxable income if you're going to be right on a threshold and it could be one of these scenarios where you say, Hey, maybe it's a talented year. It's December. You want to pull out a little extra money to buy Christmas gifts for the family, right? Or what what have you. Um, It might be the difference of pulling out of your 401k versus using some cash on hand and taking the 401k distribution in January instead of December. Well, that might be the couple thousand dollars difference to hit the next bracket for Irma. Well, obviously, you know, to your point, if you're doing your own taxes or even with your accountant, that's all reactionary. You're adding up all the numbers after it's said and done the following spring to see what your total taxable income is. Well, if you were a little proactive, you might've been able to say, hey, maybe I don't pull from this bucket of money. Right now, I wait a little bit longer, keep my total income lower, have a lower IRMA rate. At the end of the day, you have the same amount of money, right? This isn't saying don't buy you know Christmas gifts for the grandkids, but this is really saying is let's be strategic of where you're getting revenue from because that could put you to a lot stronger financial place.
0: Thank you. Uh, Good points. Good advice. Let me rewind a little bit before, you know, say 63, 64, 65 Mm -hmm. into other financial topics around quote unquote retirement. That means different things to different people. Some people are still working in retirement. Still, some people are consulting. Some people are truly feet up um, and and waiting. So um, talk to me about you know, when does planning for retirement, I mean, I know it starts as soon as you start earning money, but really when we're talking about um uh, financial planning for retirement up to that kind of 65 slash 67 of social security, walk walk me through when that starts and, and how to go about thinking of that um, um through the, you know, I guess years and potentially decades.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, right, if you're if you're 62, 63, 64, right, you can really go on a phase where you say, I'm gonna budget better, I'm gonna save more, and that can certainly help your position. But a lot of it is, as you said, it's hey, start funding your retirement accounts, doing some of the right things in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. But assuming you know you get to your later 50s or your 60s, and you know, most of the hay is in the barn, so to say, um, at that point it's hey what's my retirement going to look like, right? And that's where you know, work with somebody, there's a lot of tools online, there's a lot of ways you can do and kind of calculate, hey, what's a realistic income that I think I can generate in retirement, right? If everything goes well or pretty well, how much can I draw down? Whether it's via again my 401k, from social security, from pensions, from different uh, investment and retirement tools. But then also understanding you know, more so it's like, am I gonna be okay? People often will ask us that, you know, hey, am I gonna be okay if uh, the house burns down? Well, hopefully you have homeowner's insurance, right? Well, am I gonna be okay if, if my spouse passes away early? If I have a long-term care event, if I have a big health care cost, obviously Medicare, very important there. Um, there's really a number of risk factors that can occur. So I always tell people, you know, the fancy term is your probability of success in retirement, right? Are you gonna be okay? What's your chances? So then you really wanna understand what what could throw off my plan, right? So it could be something like uh, inflation, which we keep hearing right now, right? right? What if, what if the, the gallon of milk and the loaf of bread just get more expensive? Well, obviously if all your money's in cash tucked under the mattress, inflation could be a real risk for you. You know, what's probably the solution? Having some market exposure, right? Letting the market outpace inflation puts you in a stronger position. So inflation would be a risk. Obviously taxes, right? In this environment, potential tax changes occurring. People say, well, what if taxes go way up? Well, then, you know, that concept of using tax efficient tools, things of that nature. Um, It could be things like uh, longevity risk, right? What if you live a really long time? What does that, how does that play out? Okay, what if you spend down the money in your general accounts, like your 401k or your savings? You know, there's things like social security, obviously, that theoretically don't run out, right? You know, as long as you're alive, you can keep collecting on that, or pension benefits, right? Um, So there's all different things and items that we want to think through. What it really comes down to is you know, some people might be able to take care of everything, take every risk off the table. Other people might not be able to really do much of anything except say, hey, here's the, the government benefits I paid into and I'll, and I'll take what I can get from them, right? But I think it's people sort of the vast majority of people that fall in the middle and they say, I can probably take a good amount of risk off the table, but I don't really know where to start, right? So I'd start thinking, right, if you had no health insurance, health care is gonna be the biggest risk, right? okay i have medicare and how do i optimize that and take care of my health care cost you know in conjunction with that would be long-term care risk that's often a big uh, i was
0: gonna i was gonna pivot to long-term care that you know I, i've always heard and I, I don't know this but i've always heard you know once by the time you need it it's too late uh, it's one of those kind of it's almost like life insurance by the time you think about it yeah, you're yeah, that, that, bed, it doesn't wrong. really it doesn't really help then does it what is the right time to start shopping for ltc uh, or long-term care insurance is that the right product? Um, uh, premiums are high. Uh, I mean, that's, it's not a cheap product at all. It's not like a you know, standalone dental plan if you need you know, dental insurance. It's, it's very expensive. Are there alternatives? Are there alternative approaches? Um, you know, what, what about long-term care insurance? And when do you even start thinking about that? And when is it too late? A lot of questions for you there, Rob. <laughs> I don't know if I'll remember them all, but, but try. I think we're
1: gonna need like two or three other podcasts outside of this just to get through those questions. But no, right. I what, what I would say is there's no blanket right answer, except first understanding sort of acknowledging there is a risk, right? What is the risk? Long term care risk is simply, hey, what if I have a big uh, an event that requires skilled care, right? You know, the simplest way to view it. And a lot of people think, you know, I'm Superman, nothing's gonna happen to me, I'm not worried about it. Or, you know, unfortunately, one of the common things people say is, you know, just, just put me out on a rowboat and row me out there and you know, don't worry about it anymore, right? You know, the reality is that's what people joke of, but your loved ones aren't gonna do that, right? And They're gonna yeah, do no, it to take care of you. Yeah. And unfortunately, often, you know, to the detriment of the other spouse, right? Tons of statistics out there that show, you know, it's not just the person with the long-term care event that suffers, but it's also the spouse that really suffers, both both, you know, physically, emotionally, and also financially, right? Where your spouses yeah. that would have otherwise been okay. And even if their, their spouse had passed away quickly, they would be all right, but they end up spending down a huge portion of their assets. You know, maybe make math simple. They said, hey, I was gonna live on 10 grand a month and we were gonna have a comfortable retirement between the two of us at that income threshold. And then suddenly one of the spouses has a care event, they start spending down 20 grand a month, right? Because it's 10 grand a month for the mortgage, the life, everything you're doing, and another 10 grand a month for care costs. Well, gosh, that, that could train down what would have been an appropriate amount of assets in retirement, could get trimmed down, right? So, so
0: let let me let me ask you then this. So let's take them in, in age bands. Let's say I'm listening to this, watching this, forty five to fifty five. Well, let's say I'm fifty six to sixty four in another age band. What's the what's the approach, or what should I be thinking about in those two age bands?
1: Uh, good questions, right? So the first thing is, you know, what does my potential picture look like, and then what is the, the theoretical risk, right? if you said, hey, I'm I'm working to get by, right, I am I owe money back in taxes, I already took a 401k loan to help my, my kids with school, I have all these things, well, frankly, long-term care isn't the largest risk for you, right, your other risks are probably things like saving money long-term, but if you say, okay, I'm not in that situation, and I also am not uh, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, where I have so much money I can truly, purely self-insure, well, then you're in situations, okay, how how much of the risk exists for me and how would I consider taking it off the table? And there's a number of different strategies. You could use sort of traditional standalone long-term care products, which is, you know, you basically you pay a premium and you get a benefit if you were to have a long-term care event. Um, That marketplace has really shifted over the years, not because they were bad products, but because the products were better than people realized. Right, The insurance companies had thought, hey, we're gonna price these things to be sort of lower cost because People will lapse and They'll stop paying the premiums, and we don't have to pay any claims. Or there won't be as many claims. And what they realized was, long-term care facilities do a very good job of keeping people alive, right? So suddenly these claims last a lot longer, and these insurance companies really got hit hard. So uh, you know, a lot of insurance companies, I believe all of them at this point, effectively have had to raise premiums on insurance contracts. So you're paying more than what you might have 10, 15, 20 years ago in the long-term care market. Uh, which led to some insurance carriers and companies coming out with some hybrid products. But people in the 40s and 50s have found a lot of value in where they say, um, you know, so so rough math, don't quote me exactly on this, right? But I know, I believe the average uh, long-term care event can last roughly three, a little over three years. Okay. And they also know statistically that the vast majority of long-term care claims end in death. So insurance companies said, well, hey,
0: if that's the case. Was that a joke hidden in a statement? The vast majority of long-term care claims end in death. Is that like saying the vast majority of lives end in death? That (laughs) is is very true, but but it's rare
1: that somebody goes on a long-term care claim and says, hey, you know, and and it probably even takes you. Oh, I
0: got you. So you're saying it's very rare that someone goes into a long-term care facility or a claim and comes out and says, I'm all better.
1: Not many people go on a long-term care claim and need help with activities of daily living for three and a quarter years. And then suddenly they're like, yep, I'm good. I can take care of myself. Right. Ah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. i like, sorry. I thought
0: there was, a, well, there still may have been a joke buried in there, but no, anyway. I'm, I'm sure we could, I'm sure we could find <laughs> it editing, right?
1: um, So I said, don't quote me. Uh, but, um, but no, when we think about that, right, insurance carriers are very smart, right? What they said is, hey, we know the average claim lasts this long and the average outcome is somebody passing away after a long-term care claim. They said, well, what if we have these insurance products that exist that are effectively life insurance? You, you pay money into them, they're a permanent product, not a term product, in separate conversation, but pay premiums into a permanent product. And if at some point or another you needed money for a skilled care claim, instead of only allowing you to access sort of the cash value accumulated in the insurance product, they're actually going to leverage and borrow up against the death benefit. And Perfect. some carriers, depending on what the product structure, and you can get virtually all of your death benefit sort of in advance. So almost view it as they're going, hey, if we know at the end of the day, we're probably by odds, have to pay the death benefit claim to your surviving spouses. You know what we'll let you do is borrow against it sooner. So that's another very efficient way of mitigating long-term care risk, where you're not just purely paying premiums towards long-term care. You're sort of building an asset that can be used for a couple different ways, right? So I think yeah. that that's what you know consumers should start to think about is, hey, what what tools and products exist that can check multiple boxes and take care of multiple pieces, right? That that's you know you think of. Uh, uh, if you think of longevity risk, or what if one spouse passes away and then the other spouse lives a really long time? Well, if, if you have two spouses, one passes away and you lose their pension benefit, or you lost a portion of their their social security or what, whatever it may be, right? Well, suddenly you find yourself in a situation that, that they were comfortable with both pensions paying out. But now that you only have one, maybe you're worse off. Well, the way to optimize that would be to have some sort of a permanent insurance contract, right? So you you know you see this often with with teachers and, and firefighters, police officers where they have pension benefits and you have a choice, right? They say you can take one pension option where you get more money, but it's only on the course of your lifetime, Matt. The other pension option is you get a little bit less money every month, but if you pass away, your spouse gets your full pension or 50%. Yeah. Or even a third option sometimes, which might be Matt, if you pass away, your spouse gets it, but if you and your spouse both pass, your kids get it for minimum period, period, certain type of payout. Hmm. Well, obviously the trade-off is, you get less money if you take the more guaranteed options. So again, if you had some tools in place that can check multiple boxes, you find yourself in a stronger financial position that you say, I'm, I'm comfortable taking the single only payout, knowing that if I do pass away early, my spouse's retirement bucket sort of gets refilled with the insurance payout. If I don't pass away, it can take care of, potentially take care of long-term care risk. So I think that people need to think through what tools are available uh, and just really educate themselves on, on how the market looks at different life points.
0: So just like almost every topic in, in Medicare, in retirement, certainly in Medicare, just like every topic, it's, it depends. It's all yeah. an individualized choice, which means there's a, a bunch of different ways to go about doing it. So, uh, but if, you, if I had to back out of the individual situational piece and go back into um, you know, general buckets, you're saying there's a self-insure option, right? Yep. Which is, you know if you're a Warren, Warren or Bill, uh yeah. you're fine but if you're you know drowning in debt uh you're in the debt up to your eyeballs you're going to have a lot of liabilities the self-insurance is literally the default which is pray uh, pray yeah. nothing happens yeah. and yeah. if something happens figure it out right number two is buy long-term care insurance policy traditional and number three is some hybrid approach of using life insurance so i have those three yeah. you got yeah. um, yep exactly okay, okay. um Thanks for that. And thanks for the primer. Um, talk to me about other considerations. You, know, you have six kind of core tenets that yeah, you talked about. I mean, um, what are they? I mean, we talked about
1: inflation, right? Just keeping pace with money. How do, you, how do you counter that? Well, having some money in the market. The the opposite risk would be market risk, right? What if, what if you have too much money in the market and the market goes way down? How are you okay there, right? So a lot of these pieces you'll see sort of, are, you know, they work hand in hand. You can avoid inflationary risk of market, but we have market risk as well, right? We have healthcare and and medical cost risk, which obviously Medicare and and other health coverage, right? We have long-term care risk, which sort of stacks in tandem with medical risk, right? So now we've hit down four of them. Um, we talked about longevity risk. What if you live too long and outlive your money, right? That's where you have things like, uh, whether it's annuities, social security, pension payments, things are sort of guaranteed lifetime income streams. Um, and then probably the final one would be tax, right? So what, what do taxes look like and how do we best position ourselves entering into retirement, right? So whether it's in your forties or your fifties or sixties, but also your seventies, eighties and nineties, right? Think how many times taxes change. not every one or two or three years, but over 10, 15 year cycles as different political affiliations come into play, how do taxes play out? So what what buckets are you using and that are gonna be taxable now, taxable down the road, tax deferred? And when do you start taking out which one, right? And then the final risk actually
0: probably be legacy risk, right? Which is people saying, hey, I worked my whole life. Wait, what's it called? Say it again. Legacy risk, right? Legacy risk. I thought you yeah, said latency yeah, I risk. Work, I, I don't know what that is. You know, legacy right. risk. Okay. But well, I still don't know what that is. What is that? Well, let's, say, let's say you work your whole life and you say, hey, you know what? I, I
1: did pretty darn good. And maybe some of the other risks we talked about don't become factors. You didn't have a long-term care event and you insured properly. You, you, your money was in the market and market didn't go down at the wrong time. So you, you did all right. And at the end of the day, you say, there's some money left over and I wanted to go to my kids. Some people say they don't even need it to go to their family or their, their heirs. Right. Maybe you say, Hey, I wanted to go to a charity. I want, I want the football stadium. named need after me at the high school. Right. Whatever it is. Um, you know, live, living, living vicariously. Right. So um, <laughs>
0: football stadium at the high school. Yeah. I don't think that would not be what I would want to do with that.
1: Q, Q. Bruce Springsteen glory days, right?
0: Um, yeah, well, cue uh, uh, automatic losing record for the next decade. If, if you love the football stadium, <laughs> well, but go ahead, keep going.
1: Whatever whatever your legacy goal is, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, whether it's to kids, family, philanthropy, right? Um, philanthropic endeavors. Uh, the real risk is what if something goes wrong, and you're not able to leave it, or you don't do proper planning, and yeah. half your money goes to the government in the form of tax. Now, some people are fine with that. They say, hey, look, my pass, and half goes to tax, and half goes to my family, I'm fine with it. Other people say, hey, I'm at a higher income level or net worth level. Maybe I want to do some planning to make sure that my money passes tax-free to my heirs if I can, right? So those pieces. So I think those are really the main risks. They all really work in tandem. There's a lot of strategies that check multiple boxes, Um, just like as you head into your Medicare years, right? When you're 63, 64, there's some pieces of planning that you can do. I think there's probably more planning that can be done from an overall retirement strategy before you enter your retirement years and probably a little less that you do actually in those final years. A couple of years you start retirement, you're not really changing your planning. Whereas Medicare is really important when you're 63, 64 to be educated, start getting things in place and then really making the right decisions at 64, 65, 66, which is why I think your book works really well because when you're 44, you don't need to look at it. And by the time you're 84, it's not really as big of a deal. You just want to keep refreshing on it. right?
0: Educating yourself in those couple of years leading up to and then first years while you're in it. So talk to me about the types of financial planners out there in the universe. Uh, I've heard of fee only, uh, commissionable. I'm sure I'm not getting it right, but there are different types of, of planners. What are they?
1: Yeah, sure. And
0: uh, I guess pros and cons if you've got them and, and your perspective.
1: Um. Yeah, there's a number of ways that you people can be compensated. I always you know, joke that I think, uh, you know, consultant or advisors, it's, it's generic and
0: ambiguous of the terms you can find. My neighbor advises me on my lawn all the time.
1: Exactly, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's pro bono advice. Uh, right.
0: so, Not necessarily solicited, it's just free. That, that, that might just be trying to give you a hint of uh, it's time I, to get the lawn. I lawn. know it is. His is a lot greener.
1: Uh, well, you know, uh, not everyone has a green thumb, but I think, I think when it comes to um, you know, financial planning, getting advice, financial advisors, you know, breaks into a bunch of different categories, right? And I think the first thing you can really view it as is you have people on the insurance front and you have people on the investment in the wealth front, right? And, and years ago, there used to sort of be a divide of who could do what, right? You weren't allowed to be a bank, couldn't also be an insurance company, couldn't also be an investment house, right? Now, now they can't, right? These things can intermingle. Can, can and for a while, I think people really were siloed. You'd have people that really focused on insurance and they could help you with some wealth stuff or people that were asset managers and they'd sell you insurance if you asked for it, right? Or people that were bankers and were sourcing the mortgage. And if you said, hey, can you help me invest money? They'd say, you know, sure, they'd send you down the hall. I think what you really want to do, just like our conversation of overall strategy is have people that really try and encompass all of those pieces. There's some products that exist that are really solely commissionable, right? So insurance, for instance, is a commissionable product. Virtually all insurance contracts are state regulated, right? When you look at life and disability, long-term care insurance. So they actually have to be approved by a state regulator and there's a commission built into it. Okay. So really what you're doing is you're, you're getting advice from the person who is effectively trying to sell you the product and then they're going to be compensated from the carrier. Right. And I
0: yeah, think that's- it's like an insurance agent for Medicare, right? the, the, exactly. the price is the price is the price. It's just, if there's an agent involved, that agent will get compensated by the carrier, not anyone else. But the price doesn't change if you buy it direct from the carrier or do you buy it direct from a professional expert Medicare insurance advisor? Same thing is what you're saying.
1: Always tell our clients, hey, whether you you get it from me, you go to the carrier directly, you go to 1-800-insurance, right? You're going to get the same product at the end of the day. It's really just getting the advice and the consultation along with it, right? Um, That's the insurance front. On the investment front, really, really two main ways if you're working with somebody. It's either gonna be commissionable, right? Where, you know, if you think of the old days, right? Which don't really exist as much. Somebody standing on the stock floor, right? Saying buy, sell, and they're yelling, and there's papers flying all over. It's, it's the Wolf of Wall Street. makes
0: right? good TV, not, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. makes good TV. Not really what happens as much when most people are behind computers, um, but, you know, buying, buying and selling securities, there could be a commission associated with that, right? Different types of share classes. Um, that used to be really the, the main way things happened. It's really evolved. You don't see nearly as much of that in the industry anymore, but it certainly still does exist, but not quite as common, right? The other end of the spectrum would be uh, fee-based advisory services where you pay an advisory fee, right? So typically it's on assets under management. So if you're managing, make math simple, you're managing a million dollars at a 1% advisory fee. That means that they're taking 1% of the million dollars or 10,000 a year, right? Typically you see it quarterly uh, to do advisory work, right? So that is built in. To keep in mind, there is also a cost associated with whatever funds you're in. But typically, in that scenario, the advisor isn't going to be making money on both ends. So they're not making money when they buy and sell different pieces. Okay. Their job is to act as a fiduciary and manage money to the best of, of your benefits. So there's a little bit higher suitability standards there. Um, and there's suitability standards on the insurance front as well, right? They, you know, they can't recommend you get a bunch of products that you don't need. Um, and then, and then there's based sort of consulting, right? So you can also go into an arrangement where you're not associated with any product or investment management, where you just say, I don't want you managing my money. I'm comfortable going to whatever provider, right? You trade Schwab, Fidelity on my own and I've already bought all the insurance or so I don't wanna buy the insurance or so I'm not able to. But what I want is somebody there that's tying it together and I'm gonna pay you an advisory fee to say, you're gonna help me. Maybe it's meet twice, three, four times a year and say, Hey, what's my budget looking like? What's my cash flow? Where, where should I be pulling money from? What tools should I be utilizing? How do I think those pieces? Right. So, um, you know, when it comes to getting compensated, I think that, you know, advisors, insurance professionals can be associated, you know, compensated by commissions, by advisory fees, commissions, whether it's on insurance or on the investments, advisory fees for assets under management or mm-hmm. advisory fees for just fee based consulting for planning. So, a number of ways. I think it's always good just to just ask, right? Anytime I speak with clients, I'll typically joke and say, hey, I'm recommending you go, you know, uh, in my situation, I go get your legal documents done. You need a will. You need powers of attorney. You need these basic documents. And I'll just joke and say, I'm going to push you really hard because I don't have any skin in the game here. I just want you to do it because it makes sense. And I always joke, you know, I'm probably a bad salesperson because I get them to do their legal planning before I get them to do the other pieces that I do get compensated on. Yeah, um, On the phone, but- I'll say Hey, you need you need for instance uh, you need long term care coverage. Here's the three products that are available. This is what I'd recommend, right? And I'll say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a commission on this, right? This vehicle, well, I think we should use whatever carrier it is, and I'm gonna make a commission from the carrier. The price your seat as you're is your all-in cost. You don't owe me anything additional.
0: Yeah, so it's disclosure and finding someone who is uh, open, honest, uh, and just frank with uh with the how the type of advisor they are the fee structures is uh is really sounds like it's really important
1: yeah and as a consumer right, it's well within your rights to ask right and, and i think that there's a lot more disclosure requirements now than there were even you know a little over a decade ago when i started in the industry and certainly more than 20 30 years ago right and, and i think that overall it's for the better it makes it does make things a little bit more painful, right? Uh, to, to have to go through a bunch of disclosure language and you get all these documents. But at the end of the day, it really is meant to say, you know, you should be able to ask your advisor, hey, how are you getting compensated? And what am I paying you? What, where, where are the dollars that I'm giving and you're managing that are occurring? What's going where, right? And, and the advisor should be able to very easily answer that. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that because typically people find value, right? And it's very rare a client will say, I didn't see a value or you didn't provide enough service to warrant the
0: fees commission whatever it is that you
1: receive right typically it's like i get it you brought a lot of value and i'm okay
0: with it fair enough yep it's been a fantastic chat thanks so much for taking the time to do it today how do people find you on the internet and uh and contact you for more information
1: yeah absolutely man it was my pleasure and thank you for uh having me on the program um Easiest way to find me uh, is either via email. It would be I don't know if you can flash on screen,
0: but it's. Uh, I can. Oh yeah, we can do crazy things with this. Sure, whatever you want.
1: You millennials.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. My the millennials. That's clearly the hairs is uh, is t- tipping you off to my status. Or sure, yeah, hairs or lack thereof
1: in my case, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, it would be uh, it would be my email, which would be R and then my last name, P-Y-K-O-S-Z. So rplikos at lennoxadvisors.com or on the uh, Lennox Advisors website is uh, another way to find me. So I'm sure you can toss them on the screen,
0: um, but happy, happy to connect be a resource. Rob, thanks a lot, man. Absolutely, not. Thank you. Be sure to connect with Rob on LinkedIn or at lennoxadvisors.com. Click the Find a Financial Advisor tab in the upper right-hand part of the screen and type his name in. His last name is spelled P-Y-K-O-S-Z. Please also subscribe to the Matt Ferrett Show YouTube channel. Please help out and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even Amazon Music, or your podcast platform provider of choice. You can sign up for the Prepare for Medicare newsletter at prepareformedicare.com. You can also check out the show notes and episode links at mattferrett.com. And of course... Don't forget to buy my book for you or a loved one. Prepare for Medicare, the insider's guide to buying Medicare insurance is on sale at Amazon and at other fine retailers near you. Until next time, to your wealth, wisdom, and wellness, I'm Matt Ferret, and thanks for tuning in. The Matt Fair Show. Related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Fair Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of the Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of the Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on the Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of and associated with the Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Matt Ferret Show The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and the Matt Ferret Show guests only and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of the Matt Ferret Show, nor is the Matt Ferrett Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of the Matt Ferrett Show.